Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I've been sharing my story of suffering, but I want to let you know the reason I'm sharing it is that hopefully you can relate to me or Job in this sense. But I'm telling you right now, my suffering doesn't compare to Job's suffering and nowhere compares to Jesus' suffering. But I'm just sharing it to help you uh, see how God works through suffering. So after I checked out of rehab in 2004 for dependency to prescribed anti-anxiety medication, I began to seek more consistent help. But my second day in rehab, I was wandering the halls confused and afraid, and a nurse looked at me and said, you need to go in there. In there was a 12-step meeting. And I remember hearing about the 12 steps. In fact, I was instrumental in starting the recovery program at Saddleback Church called Celebrate Recovery. But I always thought to myself, that's not for me. That's for everybody else. So while I was sitting in the chair in that 12-step meeting in the rehab center, I read the first step on the wall, and it said, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, you can insert anything in that slot, alcohol, as we admitted we were powerless over anger. We were powerless over fear. We were powerless over our financial situation, whatever it is, our health situation. Everyone has problems. Some of them just don't know what they are. I looked at the first step. I admitted I was powerless. I don't think I ever did that over anything. I mean, we grow up thinking, especially when you're young, like, oh, I'm invincible, right? But I said, you know what? I'm powerless over the dependency of these pills, so maybe I'll find something else. And I had a V8 moment. And I said, that's me. That's me. Someone gave me the number of a person who could be my sponsor. I called him. And he said, feel free to call me anytime. And I said, what if it's 4 a.m. and I need help? I said, anytime. Uh, I said, call me anytime. And I said, what? No one's ever said that to me before. See, I was used to doing life alone. I worked a three-step program. Suck it up. You know, don't ask for help. Wear a mask, so to speak. Act like you got it all together. Attending 12-step meetings helped me in many ways, including these two ways. Number one, I could hear other people's problems and say to myself, wow, my problems are not that bad. And as we go through Job, our problems are not that bad. I don't think. Maybe they are. And number two, I could be with people who struggled with life like I did. I'm going to share a little more about that later. But today we're in part three of finding hope and suffering. What can we learn from the pandemic? We left at the end of Job chapter one. Job was righteous and blameless. He was a servant of God. Like us, we're servants of Christ. And I can't help but notice that Job's life, even though he's an Old Testament person, really speaks of a New Testament life and that we're righteous in Christ, we're blameless in Christ. We are servants of Christ. He had a great business. 
He had a wonderful family, which, by the way, he prayed over his, his kids and his family. And, and so it wouldn't be unusual to think that even though his kids died, that they went to be with the Lord. But his life fell apart. And Satan, as I said in Hebrew, is the Satan. He's the accuser. He was given permission by God. He has to get permission to attack Job's family and business. But God said, don't touch the man. Now, if God does this, there must be a good purpose in the end. We have the end of the story in Job's story. We know that he was blessed way more than what he had in his first life. And I can't help but think that no matter how bad it gets on this earth and this life, the blessings we're going to get in our next life are going to way surpass this life. And today, just when you thought it couldn't get worse. So what do we learn from Job chapter 2? First, Satan is never satisfied. He's never satisfied. The Satan, the adversary, never stops being averse to anything that is good. He is the epitome of evil. He wants to destroy you. He is a lion who endlessly prowls the earth, looking for someone to devour. And I think he had a field day in 2020. But good thing, like Job, we are hedged by God's sovereign protection by the blood of Jesus. In fact, Job was hedged by God's protection. In chapter 1, verse 10, Satan says, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? He's speaking to God. He says, Have you, you put a hedge around Job? I can't touch him. And a hedge is a fence, a protective barrier. So we see here that Satan, while he's wandering around the earth, he notices Job, and Job ticked him off. Why did Job tick him off? Because he was living for God. And that ticks Satan off. Every time you step out in faith and you take a risk for God and you do what God says to do, even though you don't feel like it, but you do it, you tick Satan off. You know who he's not ticked off about? People who don't do anything for God. He just kind of leaves those people in the back burner. But when you step up for Christ... You have a big target on your back and your front. If you remember the far side that I think about all the time of the deer that had like the bullseye right here. And the other deer says, it's a bummer of a birthmark, Al. But Satan is ticked off at Job, but he couldn't do anything because God put a hedge of protection around him. Do you know God has a hedge of protection around you? And here's the thing. Satan can try and attack different areas of your life, but he's never going to take away your soul if you're in Christ. That's the best hedge of protection. And I've often thought, without God's hedge, I wonder how bad it really would be. It could be worse. You know, Israel experienced God's hedge of protection. The night God took the firstborn from Egypt, he told Moses to tell the Israelites to sacrifice, each family sacrifice, an unblemished lamb. Do not break the bones. Boil the lamb. Eat the lamb, but take some of the blood and put it 
on the sides and the tops of the door frames, the entry to the house. And the angel of death, when he came, would what? Pass over those houses that were sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. When we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, died for you. His blood purchased you from the devil into the kingdom of God. That's how powerful his blood is. So that's the hedge that we have. And whether God hedges, like I said, with regards to your business, your family, your health, your ministry, the main hedging that we have is the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who, by the way, said that his sheep would be protected because he is the gate. He is the gate. He is the entry point of salvation and protection from the wolves and the lion. And no one, not even Satan, can take that away from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If not for God's head, Satan would have a field day. Sadly, like I said, Satan is never satisfied. He's already destroyed Job's business. He's killed his kids, but Job did not bend. He grieved, but he did not cave. In fact, in verse 22 of chapter 1, read this with me. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Literally, it could read, Job did not sin by giving folly to God. In other words, he didn't blame God for any moral wrongdoing. He didn't think that it was not for a purpose. He didn't question the love of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God, the wisdom of God, and the sovereignty of God. Job was a true believer. And even though things don't make sense, he still believed that God was sovereignly working in his life and God was just. And this is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever or an atheist. An atheist reacts and blames God. And by the way, when I talk to people who claim to be atheists, I tend to find out that there's something that happened that really hurt them, a painful incident. They blame God and they hold resentment towards God. The ironic thing is they're atheists. So they blame a God in whom they do not believe. But both, whether believer or unbeliever, will suffer and will experience pain. But the believer hopefully knows this. God is good. When I went through my three-year trial, I never doubted God's sovereignty. I didn't doubt his goodness. I didn't lose my faith, but I did begin to lose hope. I began to lose hope that things would never get better. But that was something I had to surrender to God in trust. And here's the key. I never stopped believing that God could heal me. I never stopped believing that God could do a miracle. I never stopped. In the most painful moments of my life as a Christian, I've never stopped believing that God could do a miracle in my life if he wanted to. Job suffered. His life fell apart. And now things are going to get worse. Let's turn to Job chapter 2 and go through this together, starting in verse 1. It says again, so it's an important word because this is the second time there's this heavenly board meeting and Yahweh is 
the CEO on the throne and these heavenly beings come. So again, there was a day when the sons of God, and these are the angels, the heavenly beings, came to present themselves before the Lord. And guess who's there? The Satan, the Satan, also came among them to present himself before the Lord, Yahweh. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Now, it's not that he didn't know, but here's the important thing in this when I read this. Satan never starts the conversation. God initiates the conversation. God is always in control, even of a conversation. Then Satan answered. He didn't talk until he's spoken to. Satan answered, I came from roaming around the world looking to cause trouble. That's my translation, but basically that's what he does. And the Lord said to Satan, not again. Have you considered my servant Job? Why can you leave me out of it? For there's no one like him on earth. That's an important statement. There's no one like Job. Kind of like Noah. There was no one like Noah. You know, I mean, these people had incredible faith. A blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. although. You incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Now, that's the NASB 95 translation. But what does it mean? Well, here's what it means. First, Satan does things for no good reason. God always has a good reason. Job didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes we do things wrong. And the consequences of our sin, sometimes bad things happen. Basically, what God is saying here, you oppose Job. You have come to attack Job, but without a reason. But I'm going to use it for a reason, for a good reason. And here's one of the reasons. We're here 4,000 years later looking at his life, learning from his life. If there's anything that can come out of suffering that's good is that. So then verse 4, Satan answers and said, yeah, skin for skin, you know, basically, let me attack his health, and all that he has, he will give for his life. So basically, let me add his skin, and he's going to turn on you, Lord. He's going to curse you. He's going to get so upset, and so depressed, and so hopeless, and so destructive to himself that he will curse you. Satan says, so Put forth your hand, so take your hand of protection off him, and touch his bone and his flesh. This reminds me of when Jesus died on the cross. There's a poem by uh, Max Licato, and it says that the hammer was in the hand of God. So everything that happened to Jesus was permitted by his Father. What an incredible, I mean, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And if you do that, Lord, he's going to curse you. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. So God had to permit and give him the power, but spare his life. That's a difficult passage. It's a test. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, right after he was baptized by John, and he begins his ministry? What's the first thing that happens to him? He's tested for 40 days in the desert, but he passed the test. Job does pass the test. I mean, Job isn't Jesus, 
Next, we're going to talk about his depression, which leads to hopelessness, which leads to self-destructive behavior. So if you know a lot of people are struggling with this, and we see this in Job's life, how does Job respond? He passes the test eventually, but does it make Job's suffering any easier? Of course not. Just because we know how his life ends and he lost everything doesn't make it easier because when you're going through it, you're going through it. Suffering's never easy. Number two, physical attacks are the worst. Satan knows our weakness. He knows that physical pain and suffering can bring a good man or woman down. This is why the cross for Jesus was so excruciating. Satan pulled out the stops. The entire time, the hand of God, the Father, sovereignly and providentially worked his will out for our salvation. Do you know that the Apostle Paul suffered a disease in his flesh? He prayed three times to the Lord to remove what he referred to it as the thorn in my flesh. And I'm impressed that he stopped at three times. I would keep going about 135 times. Lord, please take this away. But God said this. What did God say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul said, therefore, I'm going to boast as much as I can about my weakness so that Jesus Christ's power can rest and work through me. Listen, we're weak. There's a song by Rich Mullins who passed away young, too young, great songwriter, wrote the song Awesome God. But he wrote a song called We're Not As Strong As We Think We Are. But here's the thing. My weakness, when given to God, becomes my strength. His strength working through me. In fact, do you know there's only one thing that God does not have? What is it? A weakness. That's why he uses us. And then he's blessed and glorified through our weakness. I continued growing in my understanding about my need for help. I attended recovery meetings almost every day. I made wonderful friends and heard incredible stories of God's grace. But in 2005, I began to experience severe stomach and gastrointestinal symptoms that became worse and worse. I got to the point where I had to sleep sitting up because of the immense acid reflux I would experience lying down. I was trying to work, stay positive, but the lack of sleep can get the best of you. I was at Mount Hermon leading worship, and I met someone who told me about a doctor that might help. So I got on a plane and flew to meet him. After a few months of tests, they diagnosed me with a severe case of GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease, and they recommended stomach surgery. And by the way, has anyone in here ever had an upper GI where they stick a little camera down your throat on a cord? Well, usually that procedure is done when you're out of it, right? Well, when I found out that the medicine they gave you to sleep was the same type of medicine upon which I became dependent, I asked the doctor, has anyone ever done this without the medicine? He said, well, some doctors do because they don't want to be out of it. They want to just get back to work. I said, good. Well, I'm going to do that. I had three upper GIs, one of them a 20-minute procedure where they attached a gauge to my esophagus without sleeping medication. 
Have you ever tried to swallow a small camera with a cord on it? Don't ask me how I did it, only by God's grace. And by the way, I'm well past that now. That was early on, and I needed to do that. It's something I needed to do. I ended up having the stomach surgery, but it did not go as expected. I had to have multiple treatments to get it right. Losing your health, skin for skin, can be devastating. Let's look at verses 7 through 8. So as soon as this permission is given, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with boils or ulcers from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he's sitting among the ashes, and that can mean the garbage bin. Job, who was on top of the world, is sitting next to a garbage bin with painful ulcers all over his body, and the only way he could relieve himself is to use broken pottery to scratch. He lost his business, he lost his kids, and now he lost his health. And if things couldn't get worse, he was about to lose his fellowship with the only person he could talk to, his wife. Number three, spouses and friends might discourage you. We're going to get more into the friends later. But here's what happens. His wife says to Job, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. We always want to go, man, what a, you know, whatever. And But let me just say this. She lost everything too. And I don't think I can blame her. I mean, basically what she's saying is, Job, if you curse God, maybe he'll kill you and you'll be better off. I mean, she didn't sign up for this, did she? When Deborah and I got married, I was not a pastor. I was very far from a pastor. I was a rock star in my own mind. Being a pastor never entered into the conversation. She didn't sign up for this. But Deborah has been a rock. She's the rock star. Because here's what happened with Job. Satan went after the spiritual leader of the family. And he goes after the pastors. Right? But Deborah never said what this woman said. Through all the moving, especially to Houston, all the ministry headaches, the spiritual attacks, the suffering of health, sleepless nights, praying for our kids, praying for our church, the wondering if we're going to be able to pay the bills, the sacrifice for the kingdom. She has truly been a rock. I wouldn't blame her if she acted like Job's wife. She never did. But can we really compare ourselves to what Job went through and what his wife must have been going through? Let's go on in verse 10. So Job says to his wife, You speak as a foolish or godless woman. Shall we just accept good from God and not accept bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Obviously felt, but he never confessed that outwardly. It's a huge thing, really. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, his friends are introduced now, and they come from different places. And they came to sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him at a distance, they didn't even recognize him. And they wept loudly. We have to remember they really did care about Job. And each of them tore their robe in grief. They threw dust over their heads. And they grieved with him. And they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. And didn't say a word. For they saw that his pain was great. That's a picture of the church. 
we see that your pain is great. Don't go out and be outside of the sheep pen where the wolves are going to attack you. Come in. Bring your family. Be fed the word of God. Get prayer. We're here for you. Here's the thing. This life, if this was all there was, we'd be hopeless. There's so much more. And I want to remind you, God still does miracles. God still moves stones. He still wants to work in your life. Will you cry out to the Lord for help? Instead of blaming God, cry out to God and let him work it out. Don't get in the middle of it. Let God work it out because he is good. He is just. He knows how to best write your story. Okay? And here's what I want you to remember is what Jesus said. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. He's the Passover lamb. Because of his blood, you're hedged with the protection of God. You will not and do not receive condemnation. You receive grace and mercy. And here's the best thing. Nothing, not even Satan, can separate you from him. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from him if you're in Christ. How do you be in Christ? You believe in him. You place your faith in him. Have you done that? His body was broken for you. His blood was spilled for you. He died on the cross because he loves you. He took upon him all your sins, past, present, future. And when you place your faith in him, you become like him, righteous in the eyes of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com.